0: is is that I promised us we would take our time in Galatians that we were going to uh, move in a concerted way through it and we have and so the good news is we're going to be deep in the Bible today with a, a a a truism that almost every one of us knows but we need to go deeper with today so that we can start to get more traction with this in our lives so hang on to your pew and cactus and venue hang on to your seat we're going to go into God's word and as we do so why don't you bow with me and let's pray. Father, we are really grateful for this season that focuses us on your son Jesus, the incarnation of the full Godhead into this world so that we might be brought to you. And God, as we are brought to you, we now want to live for you and we need help in doing that. So we're grateful for your word as we unpack a bit of it today uh, from Galatians 6. Would you speak to our hearts and our minds so that we might understand you rightly and follow you with our full hearts and our lives? And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So PowerPoint, guys, I'm going to do a little bit of a different uh, introduction, so just follow me there. We're going to skip the two scriptures I had for time's sake. There's a phrase that all of you have heard before, and it's become what I would argue a great friend or a terrible enemy, depending on which side of the fence you are on, and and it's the phrase that you will reap what you sow. How many of you ever heard that phrase before, you will reap what you Almost every one of us. I was on the phone with my dad this week, and he said, what are you preaching on? And I said, well, it's out of Galatians 6, you will reap what you sow. And he said, I taught you that. <laughs> he said, I, I told you since you were a young kid. My dad's a product of the, of, the, uh, of, the, of the Great Depression. He said, I taught you since you were a young kid that there's no such thing as a free lunch and and, and that, that life is going to be fair and that you're going to reap what you sow. And I said, you did, Dad, but what you didn't tell me is that that was from the Bible. And you see, I don't think a lot of people realize that this phrase, you reap what you sow, is directly a principle in the Scriptures. And so I want to do two things with you today as we go into the next leg of our Galatian study. I want to show you the main point of the text, that the principle, the, the law, if you will, that it gives us, that you reap what you sow, and then we're going to talk about what we do with that, the call that God gives us based on this. So if you want to pull out your outline, here's the point, and we've already established it, you, you really will in life reap what you sow. And so look with me at verses 7 and 8 of Galatians 6. If you brought a Bible, open up to there. But if not, it's on your outline as well as up here on the screen. Here's what the text says. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. I gotta tell you, I love how it begins there. These are rare words in the Bible. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. In other words, don't kid yourself. Don't think that you can outwit or evade God and how he has made this world. That word mocked there in the original Greek language that the New Testament was written in is actually a very pictorial phrase. It literally means to turn your nose up to something. They did that back then and we do that today. If we don't like something or like someone, we tend to turn up our nose to that. And the Bible is saying here to not have that kind of attitude when it comes to the moral, spiritual, even physical behavior of your life. Because there's a universal law at work, a fundamental principle that applies to everyone and everything. Namely, that you will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. You know, as we established earlier, everybody's heard this phrase over the years. We just didn't know it came from the Bible. Uh, But but I want us to understand this today in in maybe a deeper way, a more intricate way than just this little phrase, you will reap what you sow. So I want you to notice with me three things that, that are either contained directly or implied in this passage here that help us understand more richly this phrase. Notice with me first that this law works both ways. This law works both ways. And what I mean by this is that it has a both positive and or a negative aspect of our moral, (coughs) spiritual, relational, and even physical lives. And verse 8 couldn't be more clear. It says that if you sow negative things to your flesh, which we've established is that part of our nature that is really good at messing up, if you sow negative things to your flesh, then you will reap corruption. Corruption. That might be a scary word to some of us, but all that word means in the original Greek is that things fall apart. That's what that word means. Things disintegrate. They fall apart. And if you sow negative things in your life, then things are going to fall apart. But conversely, if you sow things to the Spirit, Spirit with a capital S, the Holy Spirit, who lives inside believers and prompts us to do good and godly things, then you will reap eternal life. And by eternal life, the Bible means life that starts here and now in the Spirit with God's blessings and takes us all the way to eternity. And so we have a law at work in our lives that has a positive and or negative aspect to it depending on what kind of sowing you and I might be doing at this time in our lives. And all I can say as I thought about it this week is haven't we all experienced this one in our lives up to this point. I I mean, I haven't met a person yet who hasn't in some way experienced this this universal law that you will sow, or you will reap what you sow into your life. Kim and I got married in 1988. I've been a Christian at that point for maybe six or seven years. And ever since I became a Christian, one of the things that I've had is good discipleship, good mentoring. And my mentors early on also taught me how to honor God with my money. And so I didn't make a lot when I was first starting out in the pastorate at all. In fact, my, my very first pastoral ministry paid $800 a month uh, back in Chicago. And then I, I thought I hit the jackpot when I got to Detroit, and they offered me 20-something-odd dollars to be the associate pastor at my church. And, uh, and yet even back then, uh, I, I learned sound financial principles. I learned to live within my means. I learned not to take on much debt if I could help it at all. I learned to give generously. I learned to not fall prey to materialism and greed. And so back in Detroit when Kim and I were making very, very little money as an assistant pastor, we lived in a small apartment when our kids were being born. We drove a 10-year-old Buick. We went out to eat only maybe every other week and that was at Coney Island to get a hot dog. And we gave generously and tithe regularly to our church and to other places of need. And yet it's interesting, as I developed sound financial principles in my life, God has always taken care of me. No matter what level I have been at, God has always blessed me based upon having sound financial principles. I've never been rich, mind you, but I've always been taken care of as many of us have found on the other end of it, if we sow unsound financial principles, allowing materialism and greed to invade our lives and spending more than we make and taking on too much debt, then just like the scriptures say, things tend to fall apart. They disintegrate right before us. You see, we've learned when it comes to money that you will reap what you sow. And the amazing thing, folks, is that it doesn't matter in what area of life you apply this to, it's really all the same. Try this principle in every area of your life. Audit your life and you'll see that it works this way, whether it's business, parenting, marriage, our personal moral lives, our walk with God. This principle either tends to be a great friend or a chastising foe. It's positive or negative depending on what side of the fence you are on. We all will eventually reap something based on what we sow today. God says it's this way in life, as we're going to see in a minute, it's this way in redemption that what we do today, what we think today, what feelings we have today will have either benefit or consequences tomorrow. And as we're going to see in a second here too, it's almost inescapable. You know, I know some of you caught it, but the, uh, <coughs> the context of Galatians 6 here is obviously within an agricultural world. They might get it in Nebraska, but it's hard to get it here in Scottsdale when it says this idea of seed and sowing. It's an agricultural metaphor that we've been given here. But it's actually a very rich and powerful metaphor for them back then and for us today when you think about it, because the implication here is that as a seed goes into the ground, it's eventually going to produce something. And yet, the something it produces depends on the kind of seed that is sown. And so this is, very, this is very simple. Think about it with me. The implication would be that if you plant corn, you should not expect to have tomatoes pop up, right? Or if you plant flowers, don't expect an oak tree to pop up. And yet, though we get that, as silly as it is in the agricultural realm, I can't tell you how many Christians will give me their, their tale of woe on a regular basis of all these negative things that are happening to them. And as I ask some probing questions, I realize that they sowed these things over the last few years, and that though some of us do get the raw end of things many times, We can look at the audit of our life and realize that that we sow the exact things that we are reaping today, because this is the law that's before us, that what we do today, what we think today, what we feel today is going to have some type of effect tomorrow. And and so the implication here in a minute is going to be, let's get on the good side. Let's get on the winning side of this equation and experience its blessings. Now, before we get to that, let's go even deeper into this principle before us here this morning. And notice me a second key implication of this law. And this one's very interesting and revealing. And a lot of Christians, I don't think, understand this. And that is that this law is rooted in creation as well as redemption. In other words, this is a law for everybody, believer and unbeliever alike. For God has both made this world this way, that you reap what you sow, as well as, don't miss this, he's designed much of our Christian walk to be this way. That though there is grace within our Christian walk, at the same time, there's a law at work and it's a law of benefit or consequence depending on what we're willing to put into something and reap. And the reason that we know that this is both a creation law as well as a redemption law is one because of that agricultural metaphor in other words he's bridging into the physical world saying creation is this way but even more potent is the fact that this law is repeated multiple times in the bible and in the other context is talking about all of creation not just christians look up here on the screen i'll show you what i mean Uh, there it is and uh, the back screen's not on for me that's okay and uh, and and so look at Job 4 verse 8 it says as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble will reap the same this was written by one of Job's friends to Job when he was going through a difficult time and then Proverbs 22 verse 8 which again are general principles for all of humanity whoever sows injustice will reap calamity And then Hosea 8, verse 7, for they sow the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. And so I like how Ronald Fung says it in his rather thick commentary on Galatians. Look up here on the screen. This is good stuff. He says, this is a fundamental principle of the Christian life as of life in general. And so please see, this has a dual focus here. This is one of those times where the bible isn't just giving a religious principle to you and i but it's stating that this is a creation mandate that god has designed this world to be the kind of world in which you will reap what you sow and so maybe now you can see that this is why you will have friends in your life that don't bend the knee to god that don't want anything to do with god or maybe even wayward Christians that aren't walking with God, but when they do semi-good in their life, when they're being honest and upright, when they're adopting biblical values like values on money, relationships, sexuality, fidelity, marriage, and morality in general, they get blessed at this. I have Christians all the time get kind of mad at that. They're like, why is my neighbor who's not walking with God getting blessed right now? I go, well, you should be happy about that, first of all, but, but there's a reason why, and that's that even in rebellion to God, there's some things operating in the lives of those around us, and one of them is that the way that God has designed this world is that you will reap what you sow, that if you sow things in line with his will and character, you'll reap some pretty good stuff. He designed the world to be this way. And let me share with you a second implication of this, and this is gonna rub some of you the wrong way, but I'm telling you, you gotta wrestle with this. We have to wrestle with this as a church. This is also why Christians should not be shy to ask the culture around us to consider adopting many of the Bible's values within our entire culture. I mean, I know this is a touchy subject for some of us. We don't wanna be accused of pushing our morality on those around us, I get that. But I want you to think about this very logically with me because this is, this is what this principle is applying. If it is true that God has prescribed certain moral imperatives on his creation for how he wants life and even culture to function, and by the way, he has certain imperatives like a simple definition of marriage between a man and a woman, And the preciousness of the sanctity of all of human life, even life that has yet to come out of the womb, and the protection of religious liberty, and even being kind, hope you guys clap at this one, even being kind to strangers in our land. Someone can believe I got you to clap at that one. But, but these are things that in the Bible, and I can show you this inarguably, that God has said our values for all of his creation, that we value life and liberty and freedom and protection and kindness. And if that is true, and I think most of us think it is, now, now put this together, and if it's true that we reap what we sow, that as we sow these values as a culture, into our culture, then wouldn't it make sense that in a free democratic society where everyone has a voice and everybody has a say through freedom of speech and the right to vote, that we as Christians would be the first in line to speak up and share lovingly, albeit firmly, the values we think are best. See, it's in that light, this is not pushing our values on other people. We have an opportunity today, given the way God has made this world with values and a reap what you sow, to be able to speak into a culture and maybe have some influence. And it's influence for the good. I'm telling you, there are cultures that have come before us that would salivate after what you and I have today. I mean, Paul the Apostle, do we all understand, he wasn't going to the Roman government to Nero and Herod saying, hey, can I talk to you about culture? Can I talk to you about what I think we should do? They had no interest in that. But 200 years ago, our founding fathers said, you know what? I think we should have a free democratic society, what we call a democratic republic, where we have people be able to speak into the system through placing people in office and voting on certain issues. And everybody gets a say. Doesn't mean everybody wins, but everybody gets a say. And at the very least, you and I should take this principle and say to our culture, you know what? You're going to reap what you sow. And I love you enough, I care about you enough that I'd rather have us not go down the road of two and a half men and modern family. I would much rather have you, because I know what God says is best for us as a culture, go down the road in which the values that we sow into our culture would be things that benefit us. No, it's true that we reap what you sow, and it's true that this is both a creation principle and a redemption principle, and the obvious implication, folks, is that you and I need to care enough about our own culture and our own country to lovingly, reasonably, and humbly speak into it, especially when it comes to no-brainer values that the Bible gives us. Because you see, here's a third implication of this, you reap what you sow law for all. And this one is brutal, but very realistic. And on the right side of it, it's very life-giving. Look up here on the screen, and that is that this law cannot be cheated. Oh boy, it, it can't. I, I people all the time try to say to me, well, you, know, you reap what you sow, well, that's kind of relativist. I mean, it's, it, it's not really true in every situation. Ah, I I think it is. I I mean, we'll talk more about this in just a minute when we uh, wrap up and apply this. But I gave a lot of thought this week to this idea of you reap what you sow. And certainly the metaphor is trying to convince us that if you put a seed in the ground, it's going to pop up something. I'll even talk about dormancy here in a minute. But but I started to think of all the situations where we try to cheat this principle and, and it doesn't work. I know a lot of men who who have said, well, you know what? There's a lot of pornography on the internet. If I just take a peek at a few images, it's not really going to affect me, is it? Yeah, it will. It'll be really hard to get those images out of your brain and look at them long enough. It will affect the way that you see women around you. You can't cheat that principle. I know Christians that are holding a lot of anger and hurt and unforgiveness inside of them day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And that's why we have a lot of Christians that struggle with bitterness because you hold that stuff in you and you don't process it and get it out and talk about it with a good friend and get humble before God. It's, 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 it's going to eventually take root in your life. I know people who who have a regular habit of telling white lies. I still haven't figured out what the difference is between that and one of the Ten Commandments, but they tell white lies. They they just embellish things all the time. You have friends like that. And you know what happens over time? Is is that though people still love people like that, they find them less trustworthy. Have you ever noticed that? Or how about gossipy people? We don't talk a lot about gossip in the church because it's so prevalent, even though it is one of the sins of the flesh. But you know, gossips... Uh, talk about things that they have no right in talking about. They share things that they have no right to be sharing. And and I have people in my life that have mastered the technique of gossip. And and though I accept them and embrace them, I will tell you this, I don't feel safe around them. I don't share things with them that might get out. You, You see, you reap what you sow, whether you're looking at images, whether you start to not always tell the truth, whether you gossip a lot. Or how about even our walk with God? I know plenty of Christians that come to church, even come to Scottsdale Bible Church, and they warm a pew, and they look really good on the outside, but... If you do that, but you don't have a private walk with God where you're reading the Bible and praying on a regular basis, where you're in small group fellowship and opening up your lives to other people, where you're serving God on a regular basis using your gifts and passions, where you're sharing Christ with those around you, you know what eventually will happen? You will be seen for what you are. No one's going to judge you, but the book of Hebrews says that you're an infant who's still drinking milk and has yet to move on to the meat of what it means to follow God. And, and, and we have people in our church that are like that. Again, you can't cheat the system. And just so that we say positive, because I don't want to be negative, here's the opposite of everything I just said. If you keep your heart pure, and if you process regularly your negative emotions, and if you tell the truth, and if you don't get involved in things that aren't your business, and if you have a public and private walk with God that is authentic, then guess what? You're going to have the fruits of the Spirit that we've been studying in Galatians 5, these fruits of the Spirit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Isn't that awesome? You're going to develop the kind of character that's actually going to start to affect the very fabric of your life. But don't kid yourself. It came because you were reaping what you have sown. And so I love how George Munzing, a longtime pastor at Trinity United Presbyterian Church in Santa Ana once said it. This is good. Look up here on the screen. He said, you sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. And there it is, guys it's in everything you reap what you sow and this cannot be cheated I remember years ago a friend of mine telling me a story that was just so very moving about his life my friend was Doug Flood he was the associate pastor at the church that I came from in Cleveland and he was there for 30 years as our associate pastor so that when I became the senior pastor there in 01 he was there at that church He'd been a mentor of mine for years, a good friend, and we journeyed together for six years in Cleveland, and in 08, he went home to be with the Lord at a young age, 58 years old. Doug died because uh, 10 years earlier, he had been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and though they had done a lot of different treatment, eventually, the tumor load became so great, and he went home to be with the Lord. And when he first got diagnosed with this disease, they did a stem cell transplant. And Doug tells a story that a stem cell transplant, though they hope for wonderful things from it, is a brutal, brutal process. He, he says they put you in a, basically a sealed room because your immune system is going to be shot. They take all the stem cells out of you. They do something to them. They put another ones back in. And he said that during that time in the hospital, he was there for a couple of weeks, he, he had never experienced such a low point in his entire life emotionally, physically, he he said he was just as low as he's ever been. But then as he would tell the story, this amazing story, he, he said, but you know, in my lowest point, I sensed the presence of God. In my lowest point, God was there for me. And then out of nowhere, Doug would say, and I realized that all those quiet times that I had had for 45 years in which i thought nothing was happening paid off and paid off in spades what's he saying there you see you and i have quiet times we do our religious thing we do our devotional duty and if you guys are like me there's times where you get done after spending some time with the lord in your quiet time and you think well that was a wash you know i mean it's kind of like you know, no fireworks nothing no epiphanies no revelations and you know i felt good because i spent some time with the lord but What did that really accomplish? Here's what it accomplishes. John Piper in his writings hints to the fact that we need to train our souls to be in the presence of God. Just like a good marriage where you get to know each other over time and the machinations of each other's personalities and, and things that with God it's the same way. My friend Doug spent 45 years in quiet times wondering what the purpose of all of them was and when he needed God the most, God was there. And you see, I've had plenty of people come to me who who have not spent any time doing that, and and they treat God like a cosmic parachute. They're free-falling out of the plane, and they're pulling the ripcord and saying, God, come through. And you know, in God's great grace, He many times does come through. But wouldn't it be better if we had prepared for rough times? Wouldn't it be better if we honored this principle that you reap what you sow, that it can't be cheated, and and that you and I are the type of, of people that prepare for those difficult times so that we are ready when they come. So add up where we've come to this morning. Cactus and venue. add this up. Uh, It's a law for all. You reap what you sow. It's a law that works both ways, positive and negative. It's either a great friend or a bothersome foe. It's a law rooted in creation as well as redemption, which gives us freedom to speak lovingly into the culture around us. And it's a law that can't be cheated. Try as you might, your thoughts and feelings and actions are going to have some effect uh, when it comes to the future. And and as we reason through this, it makes sense. And as we match it up against our reality, it proves true. So, the only question left, and with this, we'll wrap up, we're almost out of time, is what do we do with this? I mean, it's good theology, it's a good lesson, there's some practical outpouring, but what do we actually take home or into the Christmas season with this right now? And here's the call, as far as I see it, that Galatians gives us. And the call is this, and that is to choose God's side and do good. That when we understand that we reap what we sow, then the choice before us is to choose God's way and do good. And though this might seem overly simple and even vanilla to some of us here today, I don't want you to miss the profundity of this application because it is thrice repeated right in the text before us. Look at verses 6 and then verses 9 and 10 and tell me if you don't see what I see. Look up here on the screen. It says, the one who has taught the word must share all, say it with me, Good things with the one who teaches. Then skip down to verse 9. And let us not grow weary of, say it with me, doing good, for in due season will we reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us, say it one last time with me, do good to everyone, especially to those of the household of faith. So, So, do you see? Three times it tells us what the application to this reap what you sow law is, and that is that you and I are to do good. That we're to do good to everyone around us, do good in light of God, and when we do, we're gonna reap good things. In fact, one could argue that the good life is found before God in doing good. But let me ask you, what is good? I I mean, that's a great question to ask. What is good? I, I, I know what the Greek is on good, I know a couple of the Greek words in it, but I thought I'd look up good in Webster's dictionary this week. And many times I love how Webster's defines words because it helps me to understand them better. But I got to tell you, it was a very anticlimactic experience looking up the word good in Webster's this week. Because here it is on on the screen, they define good as of a favorable character or tendency. Exactly, I read that and I thought, that does nothing for me, like I don't even get it. Favorable, favorable to who? I I mean, what what does that even mean? So so I came up with Jamie Rasmussen's biblical definition of good. And here it is. Look up here on the screen, because this is my best shot at what the Bible says good is. That which is beneficial to others, that which is right in God's view. That has teeth. That's good. That, That good, according to the Bible, is anything that is selfless and benefits another person. Now watch this. Whether it's something that they like or don't like. So so I've done good to my kids, but that doesn't always mean I give them a snicker bar. Uh, In doing good to my kids, there's been times where I've said, you must eat your broccoli. And and they cursed me for it. They didn't fall down and call me blessed. They didn't like that. But the reality is, it benefited them. And we spend our whole lives doing things like that. So we tell the truth to people in love, and sometimes they're happy, sometimes they're not. But we do good. We do that which benefits them. And then when it's just between us and God, we do what is right. Right. And the Bible's filled with the filling in the gaps on that one. We know what is right and we do right. And when we do those two things, now don't miss this, the Bible adds it all up and puts it under the umbrella of good. This is why in the Bible it calls things good like love, service, acts of kindness, truth-telling, righteousness, and faithfulness. Those are all good. And when we do these things and, and we sow them into the soil of our daily living, the Bible says that you'll reap a harvest of the good life in God. And I know what some of you are thinking right now, you're thinking, well, uh, Jamie, I've had plenty of times in my life where I've chosen good, I've done the beneficial and right things and it doesn't always work. I I, I mean, I get hammered for doing good, it doesn't pay off. I'm on the losing end of that deal. In in fact, I've eaten right all my life and I've exercised and now I got cancer. I'm not reaping very well on that one. I, I tell the truth in love, only to have a good friend or a family member, member alienated from me. I have daily quiet times like you say to do and I feel nothing and I've been doing it for years and I still feel far from God. I love my spouse as best as I can and he or she doesn't see it and my marriage is still placid at best. I raise my kids to know God and to love Him and they still make bonehead decisions. I work hard and I pay my bills and I still struggle financially even though you made it okay in the 20s. So don't tell me that you always reap what you sow because it is something that is cheated and is cheated on a regular basis and it doesn't work for me. See, I, I know Christians who would never say it to me like that, but let's say it for what it is. That's what we think. So let me ask you the $10 question. When somebody is in that place, and maybe many of us have been here, I have, when we're in that rock and a hard place, when we're really hurting, when we're beat up, what's the answer? What do we say to them? Actually, verse 9 gives it to us here, and and though some don't like it, it's an answer that has a lot of grit and it proves true. Look at it again. I highlighted in yellow the important parts. (laughs) The Bible says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. There it is. Theologians have a word for this. We've written entire volumes on it. It's called Perseverance. The fact that when the going gets tough, the tough get—actually, that's not true. When the going gets tough, I I like to say the tough hang on, right? In that like worst-case scenario, you come to the end of your rope and you tie a knot and you just hang on for dear life. That's a pretty good definition of perseverance because I want you to think about it logically with me as we're having this discussion on whether we should keep doing good when we don't see any benefit logically speaking, there's only two things you can do at that point. The first thing you could do is say, I'm just not going to do any good anymore. I'm going to give up. I'm going to get out of the ring. I'm going to say, God is not good. I'm not playing this game anymore. And you can see where that gets you. I see a lot of Christians do that. And I've ever yet to see one who, in the end, experienced a positive benefit for doing that. So the only other thing we can do when we're against the ropes is to kind of hang on for dear dear life and take the punches, but say, come heaven or high water, I'm not getting out of this ring. I'm staying in this ring and I'm staying in it with God. And as the Psalmist said, though there's weeping in the night, there is joy in the morning. So at some point I know if I don't grow weary, if I wait for that due season, if I I don't weary in doing right, I'm eventually gonna see the daylight again. You see, that's what Christians do. We hang in there. When things get tough, we continue to do good because we know it's the right thing to do, and eventually, we're gonna reap what we sow. Closing illustration, and then we'll be done. I uh, I mentioned earlier, I was gonna talk about dormancy. It's actually fascinating. This comes from the Royal Tasmanian Botanical Gardens website. I didn't know there was one either, but I was studying this in my, my research this week and I came across this wonderful article on seed dormancy. You see, they have the same doubts over the years in the agricultural world that you and I do in the spiritual world. That, that, that really, there are times where you plant a seed and nothing, like nothing happens. And so, scientifically, they've been trying to study what they call seed dormancy. Seed dormancy is defined as when a viable living seed doesn't germinate under the appropriate temperatures and conditions of water and oxygen and light. And they conclude that when that happens, the seed possesses dormancy. over the last 100 years, science has been studying dormancy. Let me read for you directly the result of a portion of their studies. I thought this really pertained to you and I spiritually. It says, because dormant seeds don't germinate, dormancy was for many years considered to be some sort of seed defect or inactivity that meant that even a viable seed sometimes wouldn't germinate. However, investigation has proven that viable seeds, including dormant seeds, continually sense and respond to their environment, so dormant seeds are actually not inactive. Not only that, but dormant seeds can germinate after dormancy has been removed or alleviated, and seedlings then develop normally. Whoa. What it's saying there, obviously, is that there are times where you plant a seed in the ground, nothing happens, and you think, well, that's it. Nothing's going to happen. But no, no, no. See, there's stuff going on below the surface that we don't see. There's interactions going on in that environment. And though it might take a very, very long time, that garden that you walked away from a few years later, the next person who brought the house is going to see things popping up because that dormant seed is still interacting, and it's going to come up. And he said, I think that's a great word picture for you and I. Some of you, some of us today have been doing good for a long time and we're beat up and we're against the ropes and we're tempted to give up. And God says, no, 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 that dormant seed is still active. That dormant seed is doing something. Just hang in there, Christian. Hang in there. Because in due season, if you do not give up, you will reap a harvest. You see, folks, I love that. There are times that, I mean, I don't have to go into this. You don't need me to bleed on you. But there are times that I feel so beat up in life and in the ministry that, since I was talking with Schrader this week, I just long for heaven. I feel like Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians 1. I'm just, I'm ready to go home. I'm only 49. What's wrong with that? And, 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 and so in those times, what do I do? I'll tell you what I do. I, I just I do not weary in doing good. I say, God, you saved my soul. You took me out of the muck and the mire. You've placed me on solid ground. I owe you my very life and more. And I will hang in there. And I will continue to good, do good. As I have said it for years, I will fake it till I make it. And, and I will continue to do that. And, uh, and I think that's a godly response. Christmas is going to be hard for some of you, it will. Christmas brings up a lot of difficult memories for some of us. If you've lost somebody... If, if, uh, if you've been grieving, it, it's a difficult season. Don't weary in doing good. He loves you. His grace is upon you. And in due season, you will reap a harvest. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives, how you are the kind of sovereign Lord that never, ever, ever sleeps or slumbers. You're constantly, constantly working in our lives. It's just that, Lord, sometimes it's hard to see. Sometimes the seed seems very dormant and we we don't get it. I pray that anybody who's there today, here and in cactus and venue, would would realize that much of life in the spirit is a waiting game. And that for you, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And so, Lord, wait we do. And we love you and we'll stay faithful. And and we will, Lord, not weary in doing good. Because we know that you are in the business of redeeming the years that the locusts have eaten. And we wait on you. We love you. Bless us, surprise us with joy, even this Christmas season, we pray. In Jesus' holy and precious name, and we all say together, amen. amen. God bless you. See you at Winter Wonder.